chapter 23 is basically a land deal. I mean, really, that's all it is. Abraham is negotiating to buy a piece of property. I mean, that's the whole deal. There's two verses at the very beginning of chapter 23 that tell us that Sarah died. So Moses is is writing Genesis, of course. He puts in verse 1 and 2, Sarah died, Abraham mourned, and then all the rest of the chapter is this land deal to buy a burial plot. And so we're going to put it in the context of the story. Um, I tell you what, let me let me walk through the storyline. Take five minutes and walk through the storyline that we've seen so far. That way we can put this. Uh, that way we can put this chapter in perspective. I've got a question before you start. Okay, go ahead. How long did this land deal take? How long did it take? I mean, I'm thinking it happened all in the course of a day. You think so? I don't know why. Do you think it lasted longer? Well, I, that's what I'm trying to find out, and what I've tried to study on. I couldn't ever find out where it said this lasted for a day or this lasted for a month or. No, I think it happened all at one time. Okay. I mean, I think so. I mean, I I could be wrong. I didn't really study on how long it took, but I think it just. I thought maybe you'd know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I'm gonna know, I'm gonna say it happened all at one time. That's what I'm gonna say. Okay. (laughs) Until I get some contradictory information, that's what I'm gonna say. Okay. All right. So. Let's put this in perspective of the storyline. So a lot, a lot of, I know, you know, we got all kind of things going on. So maybe you hadn't been able to be here for every single lesson all the way up through Genesis. What we've seen so far, this is the storyline and this is how this fits. Remember, if you're reading something in a book, a particular book, you know, Genesis, Isaiah, whatever, you need to, a lot of times we'll read Old Testament passages and we'll think, well, I don't understand. Nothing's going on. You Always the best thing to do is try to put it in the perspective of why it's there and the context of the whole book. You remember, you know the context of Genesis. It's really easy. The fact that God created paradise. He created man, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Sin enters into the creation. Now there's sickness and death, and <coughs> disease and suffering and darkness and evil. And all of those things are now in the creation. And God God curses the, the, the ground. He curses the man and the, and the woman and Satan. And in the midst of that, he gives a promise. And that promise is that there is going to come a seed of the woman that is going to crush the head of the serpent. Who is that seed? Jesus. Yeah, that's right. It's Jesus. He's the fulfillment of that seed. And throughout this, throughout this book, Genesis, 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 we are tracing the line of that seed. We are seeing the fulfillment of the promise of that seed, and we're watching the promise of God move uh, from person to person, family to family, as God orchestrates the events that are going on. He is. He is. Um, he is. He's showing us his fulfillment. In this section that we read about Abraham, who is the hero of the story? Trick question. God. God is the hero. In the in that's one thing. Listen, if you don't learn anything else from me, you need to learn this. God is the hero of the story. In the story of David and Goliath, who is the hero? God. God is the hero. The story of Joseph and his brothers, who is the hero? It's God. Throughout the the scripture, it's a story about who God is and the promise that he is bringing to pass. And so when you look at the text in chapter 23, it's almost like if you're reading Genesis through... 
you might just read through it and go, okay, so what? Let's move on to something good. But you need to take it in the context of the promise of God. What we're seeing here is Abraham is, is about to get the first taste of the fulfillment of the promise of, God, of one of the promises of God that he promised him. Okay? Y'all with me? Now, the last thing we saw in chapter 22 was what? What we talk about last week? Uh, yeah, we sacrifice. talked about Isaac, the sacrifice of Isaac, and God stopping the sacrifice and providing a substitute. And we really aren't given any information about what happened afterward. Like we weren't, didn't, weren't told that they joyfully came down the mountain, or that he went and told Sarah all that happened, or you know anything like that. What comes next is a genealogy. <laughs> And I mean, that really kind of puts the brakes on, you know, you're reading, if you're reading through Genesis and you're reading this chapter and you're seeing, you know, this story of Isaac that just shows Jesus, you, you see it in fulfillment of, you know, he's carrying the wood up the mountain. He's the sacrifice and God's providing a substitute. You just see the cross in, in all of this, all of these pictures that we're seeing here. Um, instead of, if I was writing the book and be thankful that I didn't, uh, if I was writing the book, it would be like, you know, I would want to show you that Abraham went home and he told Sarah about all this and they rejoiced and they had a celebration and a party. But no, we get a genealogy. And there's a reason for that. It says in verse 19 of chapter 22, we're going to read these last four verses or five verses. It says, Abraham returned to his young men. They rose. They went back home to Beersheba. In verse 20, it says, and it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham saying, behold, Milcah, which uh, is the, uh, the wife of his brother, she hath borne children unto thy brother Nahor. Huz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother. There's a kid named Huz and Buzz. <laughs> and Yeah, twins. And Kemuel, the father of Aram, and Kesed, Hesed, the, and Hazo, the, you know, all them names. All the way down, verse 24, and his concubine who was uh, with Ruma and bore also Teba and Gehem and Thesh and Micaiah. Now, in verse 23, uh, Bethuel beget this woman that's going to be very important in our story, and her name is Rebecca. Now, why would God put this here? Just It's almost like it's stuck in the middle. Okay, Abraham comes down from the mountain, and of course he's excited. Isaac's with him, didn't have to sacrifice him. God provide a substitute. And the next thing we're told, by the way, your brother, who still lives in Mesopotamia, back where you came from, is having all these kids, and these are the names of his kids. You need to understand that what he's doing here is he's showing us Abraham's quote-unquote homeland is still in Mesopotamia. It's still in Ur of the Chaldees, where he was, where he came out from. His family still lives there. Nahor, his brother, still lives there, still having kids, still having children. Uh, you can also say that, you know, by the way, Abraham's having all this trouble having a kid and all these things. But there's no problem at home. You know, Nahor's <laughs> spitting them out like, you know, whatever. And and so they're having all these kids. And of course, we're introduced here to Rebecca, who's going to be very important in our story. It shows us that God is working not only in Abraham's line but also in Nahor's line because he has brought Rebecca, who is going to come in. Of course, you know the deal. She's going to marry Isaac. Uh, but his homeland, his family land, his family is located 
way back where he came from in Mesopotamia, okay? That's going to be important because he's about to buy a burial ground in Canaan. He's going to claim Canaan as his homeland, okay? Y'all with me? File that away. We're going to need that in just a minute. It says, it says in verse 1 of chapter 23, And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. She's 127 when she died. She was 127. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. That means if she's 127, that means Isaac is now 37 years old. So he's a man. He's 37 years old. They've been something like 62 years in the land of Canaan by this time. And she dies. Uh, she dies in Hebron. If you're paying attention to what we've done before, that is the same place that Abraham built the altar and worshipped God there in, in, in Hebron. Okay, so what we see here, listen, God has made promises to Abraham and Sarah, right? What were the promises? There were three of them. They all have to do with the seed, but what were the promises? Number one, he would... Be the father of many nations. Be the father of many nations, and all the world will be blessed through him. Number two, he'd have his own child, which has already come to pass, Isaac. And the third one? He would have his own land. He would possess the land. Now, one of those promises has already come to pass, right? Isaac was born. He'd waited all this time. Finally, Isaac's here. Now, Sarah has died. And how much land does Abraham own? No. Donut. He owns absolutely nothing. And so, for all intents and purposes, he might be thinking, uh, he's not thinking this, we're going to see in a minute, but he could think, well, she's dead. I mean, my, wife's is, my wife is gone, and I still, the promises aren't fulfilled. The promises, I, I'm still waiting. I don't have any land whatsoever. Um, to me, it's going to show, it's going to show, and I, I think I can prove this from the text here in a minute. He has to realize two things that you and I both have to realize. Number one is the promises of God extend beyond death. It wasn't that, hey, I'm going to give all these things to you in your own lifetime. I'm going to give all these things to you. And Abraham, you're going to die before you see it completely fulfilled. He's coming to grips with the reality that he's going to die before his children, his descendants, have possession of all of this that he's been given. He's not going to see it. He's not going to see it at all. And he also needs to understand, I mean, Sarah has waited for the promise all these years. She'd been married to Abraham. She'd waited and she ends up, ends up dying before it comes to pass. The promises that God has made to you, you need to understand, they extend beyond this life. They extend beyond this life. We're promised, you know, you're promised all kind of things in Christ. You're promised peace. You're promised, you know, uh, all the things that God has promised. No weapon formed. You know, pick your promise. You promised all these things. But it doesn't mean that there's not going to be any suffering in this life. Understand, Abraham is realizing that suffering is going to come. Can you imagine? He'd been married to, he'd been married to Sarah for a hundred years at least. They had gone through good things together. They'd gone through bad things together. They had done really stupid things together and, and uh, disobeyed God. They had seen God work miracles in their lives together. Uh, this is Abraham loves Sarah. And you can see it, this word for mourning here where it says, 
And he came to weep and mourn for Sarah. That's not, you know, don't get the picture of a man just at the, you know, just weeping and a, and a tears coming. We're talking about wailing and crying and screaming and and very vocal. We're talking about painful mourning. He is, he is hurt at the depths of his soul that his wife has passed away, that his wife has gone. He is coming and he's mourning. So the promise ex- extends past his death. But the promise is not going to be fulfilled without suffering, without him going through these things, without without him coming and without him coming to the to realize that, you know, she has died. She's died and you're going to die. And right now, as you sit here, you got the son. So, you know, that your son is going to be the promised line and that a great nation is going to come from him and all the world nations of the world be blessed. But you own exactly zero land that God promised you that you would own. And so two things before we even begin. He gives these first two first two verses. And these are the only two verses in this text that talk about Sarah's death. That her death, her death, it, I mean, it breaks Abraham. These, these words are not... These words, we, when he wept and he mourned, it's easy for us to read over those and say, well, of course he did. You know, he's grieving. But the, the words that are used are, you know, I get the picture. I have seen, I've seen people, people grieve in all kinds of different ways. And so where some people, you know, I saw, I saw a mother lose her child. I mean, this is older, elderly, lose a grown child, not, not a baby child, but a grown child in, in the hospital and her just... You know, there's just no visible signs of anything. You know, it's almost like, you know, I know she was she's dealing with it in her own way. And I've seen people throw out in the floor, screaming at the top of their lungs, you know, just inconsolable. And so the picture that you need to see here is is Abraham is not just stoically Abraham, the man of God's, you know, nodding his head at the he is he is um He's writhing and going through. Question. Somebody explain it for me. <laughs> he's heartbroken. Heartbroken, and he's wailing. I mean, he's. You can imagine screaming and just. Well, he's devastated. He devastated. Yes. Do you think Christ did the same thing whenever he wept? You think he wept this way? What do you mean? When he brought Nazareth when back. When he brought Lazarus. Lazarus. Back. Lazarus. Lazarus. Do you think Christ Lazarus. did that? You know, in this form. I don't know. I'm. I mean, Christ was speaking at the time. He he wept. He could have. He could have. I don't think he was weeping. He might have been. Some people say he was weeping because of the death of Lazarus, because of the fall and the, the you know. Some people he would say he was weeping because of the people who were weeping and they didn't understand well, that. I've always you know, been told so, that he wept because he had to bring him back out of paradise into a sinful world. Uh, that's a new one for me. I hadn't heard that. Oh, I haven't heard, heard that. that so, We've heard that our whole <laughs> Really? Yes. Uh-huh. Hmm. Okay, that's a new one for me. That's first. Having to bring but to be honest, I don't know. It, if they was going to have to bring me back out of paradise, I'd want somebody to be wailing than ashes. <laughs> Because <laughs> I wouldn't believe up there. I guarantee well, you that's probably right. I know right. it's old in New Testament, but you know, I just curious if you thought. I'd Christ. have to. I'd have to. I mean, I could look up the semantic domain on the words, but really, this is written in Hebrew and that's in Greek. So right. Exactly. I'd have to. Same. You'd have to look. I don't. I don't know for sure, but I know here he is. He is not just stoically sitting by, you know, with a tear falling. He is. He's wailing. He's wailing in mourning, and so. The thing about it, the thing about it is here is I think that Abraham has been through enough 
that what you're going to see next, and it's really amazing to me. That's why I told you this is going to be a hard lesson for us because you got verse 1 and verse 2 that talk about Sarah's death. You would think that we'd talk more about that. The rest of this chapter is a land deal. You know, him wheeling and dealing, you know, to try to get by a burial plot. And so it's kind of strange, but it shows us the depths of Abraham's faith. Because in the reality is, at verse 3, I mean, he's weeping and mourning and, and, and all those kind of things. It says, and Abraham stood up from before his dead, which means he was kneeling down beside Sarah's body, weeping and mourning. He says, Sarah and Abraham stood up from before his dead, and he spoke unto the sons of Heth, which are the Hittites. That's where the Hittites, we get the Hittites come from. The sons of Heth saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. A couple of things you need to see. Who is Heth? Heth is the, the father of the Hittites. Well, I got, I got that from the outline, but I mean, just, I didn't know. Yeah, he's in the genealogy of the the big genealogy of the nations. And so uh, they're there in they're the Hittites that are in the in the promised land. You know, they're owners of the place where they own the land where where Abraham is currently sojourning. He rises from mourning. He rises from his wailing. He he's kneeling down at the body of his dead wife and he is crying and mourning and it's almost like he he ri- he rises from weeping but he is decisive. He's decisive and he is trusting and he realizes that I, this is my homeland. I don't own any of it. But this is where God has promised my people are going to own this land. And so he, he decides I'm going to own a burial ground right here in this land. Now, ancient people, ancient people were... Um, they were it was the their family burial ground was sacred you know it was a sacred thing it was to be quote unquote buried with your fathers or to sleep with your fathers you're going to see that all through the old testament that that denoted honor and distinction that you were buried with your family you were buried with your ancestors buried with your fathers uh, jacob is going to say at the end of um, at the end of uh, uh, man at the end of Genesis, going into Exodus, he's going to say, I want you, when I die, to bring my bones back to Canaan and you bury me there with my father. Don't bury me here in Egypt. You bury me, you bury me with my father. It was a matter of honor and distinction. So if Abraham wanted honor and distinction, if he was going to do what was traditionally done, what he would have done was he would have packed up his dead and he would have went back home to Mesopotamia, back home to Earth of the Chaldees, and he would have buried his wife with his ancestors, with but his he's family, on God's with his father. Promises. That's what I'm saying. He decides, I'm not taking her back to Mesopotamia. I'm going to buy a plot of ground right here because Canaan, this land of promise, is my homeland. It's been promised to me. It's been it's been deeded to me. Even though he doesn't own not one inch of it yet, he says basically he says I am going to make a burial, a family burial ground, a sacred burial ground for my descendants right here in Canaan because one day my descendants are going to own this land. Do you see the faith that has to come into practice here? I mean. 
it, he's basically saying, he's basically saying, that is no longer my homeland. This is my homeland. This is where my people come from. This is where my people are going to die. And when my descendants, he's I'm kind of putting words in his mouth, but he, he's thinking, when my descendants finally come into this land and possess it, our family's burial ground is already going to be here. It's already going to be here. The sacred land here is already going to be here. And he, it's, it's almost like... Just picture it. Let's get it in our minds. He's, he's kneeling down beside the body of his wife. And he's weeping and mourning. He's crying. He's screaming. He's doing all the things that you do when you grieve. And then, you know, th- there comes a time, if you've ever been around somebody at the moment of, you know, grieving lasts for a long time. But right at the moment of grieving is like a, a shock to the system. If you've ever been around somebody during that time, there comes a time, you know, sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's two hours that it's just, you can't cry anymore. You can't scream. I mean, you just, it's all out. And, you know, you, you want to and you just can't. There comes a time there where he's done weeping. He's, he's got it all out for the moment at least. And he stands up and he says, I've got to find a burial ground right here in the promised land for her, for my family. Because this is where we live. This is where our homeland is. God has deeded this to us. We don't own any of it. Don't look like we're ever going to own any of it, really, because they don't they don't possess anything. He says, but God has promised it, and so I'm going to find a way to bury her here. Y'all with me? Mm-hmm. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. You see, you see his faith in action here, even in the midst of all this. Um, he. Uh, he wants to, the whole thing that we're going to read here in the rest of chapter 23 is basically a big land deal. That's, that's all it is. Uh, he, says, he says to the sons of Heth, the Hittites that are there, these are the guys that own the land. He says, this is his status. I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. That means he's telling them, I realize that I'm a nomad. I'm a, I'm a traveling Nomad. That's all. That's all he is. He owns no land. He's moving from one place to the next. He's wherever there's a water supply, he'll go there. You, we've seen it all through Genesis. He's moving back and forth through all these deals. He owns no land. He admits his status. He says, "I want you to give me a possession." He's not asking for a gift. He's asking them to. We're going to see it in a minute. He's asking them to sell him to make him the possessor of a piece of land so he can bury so he can bury his dead. He says, I want you to give me a possession of a land so I can bury my dead. It says, And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince, literally that says a prince of God among us, in the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead. He says, You pick where you want your dead buried, and you just knock yourself out. Go bury him wherever you want to. It says, None of us shall withhold from thee this sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. Now, here's the question. We're going to see them be very generous sounding, and I don't have an answer so don't worry about being wrong. I'm asking your opinion. Are they being deceptive or are they being really generous? What do you think? I think they're being. You What's know, the culture respectful. of the people? Is what you got to ask? How, are they evil people? Or are they? Well, they're they they recognize they recognize that Abraham is blessed by God, just like Abimelech did. Abimelech, remember him? He he recognized that everything Abraham touches turns out great, you know? Even when Abraham does stuff stupid, God seems like he jumps in and saves the day. So they're recognizing that he is a mighty prince. They recognize he's got lots of people with him. You're recognizing he's a great family and all those kind of things. Um, and so basically they tell him, hey, pick one. 
Pick one and go yeah. go bury your dead. Nobody's going to stop you. Nobody's going to stop you. Well, I think they can see how heartbroken he was. Probably. Just trying to have compassion. Maybe yeah. so. On him and tell him, just get what you want. Maybe yeah. so. Maybe so. I don't know for sure. There's some people that say they're kind of wheeling and dealing, trying to be deceptive because we're going to see them go back and forth here in just a minute. Uh, some people saying, you know what? He's been among them for so long that they know he's a good man, know that he's you know trying to do the right thing, know that, and they're just being generous and they're trying to help. You know, I, I don't know, and I don't think we can know. All we know is that he is not going to allow them to give him. A piece of property. Mm -hmm. He's not going to allow them to gift it to him. And so, really, this is when the negotiations start. They said, look, I need you to give me possession of a burial place. And they say, take your pick. You can have whatever you want. And so here now, the negotiation for the burial place is going to start. It starts with him bowing. It says... Um, I'm his brother. Where am I? Seven. Seven. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth, the Hittites. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to uh, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me a cave, the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is at the end of his field, for as much money as it is worth, he shall give me for a possession of a burying place amongst you. Now, Abraham's done a little research, hasn't he? Yeah, he already knows. He already knows what cave he wants. He already knows who owns the cave that he wants. And so Abraham's coming at this. This is not just, this is not just, uh, I need you to see that this is not just Abraham getting up with tears in his eyes saying, please give me a cave. I need some, I need whatever. He, he, he knows what he wants. He's done research. He has, he has, um, he is so trusting in the promise that he has scouted out and looked out which it, who owns it, where is it at. Uh, this cave is going to be uh, it's going to be his burial plot for sure. But he uh, he has already checked all this stuff out, and not only does he want this cave, but basically they just offered him, you know, hey, take whichever one you want. It's all good. He says, I don't want to take which one I want. I want to pay the full price. I want to pay the full price that it's on. And in verse 10, it says, I'm going to go through a couple more, and then we'll talk about why he wants to pay the full price. And in verse 10, it says, And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, the guy. And Ephron the Hittite answered. He was sitting right there. He answered Abraham in the audience of the other children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of his city. Now, that's important. Why are they sitting at the city gate? You remember remember Lot? You remember the that's talking about they, Sodom? That's where they made all their decisions. At the city gate is where all the the civil things were decided. That was the courtroom. That was where all the elders and the leaders of the city, the the you know the mayor, the city council, whatever you want to call them, that's where business was conducted. You're going to see the same thing in Ruth, where Boaz goes and tries to to deal with Ruth and and uh, and uh, the kinsman redeemer and all that kind of stuff. It happens at the gate of the city with the elders sitting around. That's where Abraham is making a legal transaction right here in front of these front of these uh, leaders of the city so that it is public it's legal and everybody knows that now Abraham is going to own this land and so Ephron says uh, Ephron said in the in the 
the hearing of all these city elders, he says, No, my Lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave that is therein I give it thee. In the presence of the sons of my people I give it thee. Bury thy dead. And so Ephron says, Man, you can have it. Don't worry about it. Now that seems like a good deal to Abraham, doesn't it? Seems like a good deal. If if I was going to buy, I don't know, you know, hey, there's a red Honda BTX out on Main Street I was looking at. I mean, I, I ain't going to buy it, but it looks just like the one I... But anyway, if I walked out there and I said, you know, all right, the sticker says four grand. I'll give you, I'll give you three and a quarter right now, today, cash. And he said... <coughs> Just take it. You can have it for free. What am I going to do? Right Boom! Where'd he go? Ah. <laughs> it's gone. I'll be gone before he... He wouldn't even have another thought before I'd be gone. He couldn't change his mind. Why didn't Abraham just take him up on the deal? Why do you think? He didn't think? want to feel obligated He didn't anybody. want any trouble down the road, I think. Didn't, both of those, I yeah. believe, are true. He didn't want to be obligated. He didn't want anybody to say, well, that field really don't belong to him because he was really just giving it to him. He gave it to him anyway. He didn't want he didn't want years down the road, Ephron, to say, well, you know, I really just gave that to you. It's really by field. I'm just kind of letting you, you, you know. He didn't want any, he wanted to own this burial ground. He wanted to own this field and this cave, and he didn't want anybody coming at any time ever and saying, well, you didn't really get it legally. You really didn't get it rightfully. It's really not rightfully yours. He wanted to own it. He wanted to own it, and he wanted to own it as a, um, we'll call it a, I don't know, as a... Um, it's just a guarantee. It's a guarantee, but it's almost like a it's almost like a an earnest, a down payment of the fact that he's gonna own all the land. This is this is him. I mean, think about it. He is he's really putting his faith in the promise of God that his descendants are gonna own all the land because otherwise he's got this little bitty ground surrounded by all these other people. How long is it gonna last before they just take the they just take the cave and the field back? For his burial ground there, for his family, because he knows he's going to eventually own the land. But he doesn't ever want to lose that burial ground. Right. He doesn't want to lose that because that's where his family's going to be. Sure, that's where his ancestral. That's he is making a new burial ground. To be able to take that from him ever, so he's making it a legal transaction. Right. Absolutely. It is a it is a insurance of faith. A step of faith that he is making right here. That he is I am not going to be given this. I'm not going to take it by, you know, back alley deals or under the table handouts or anything. I'm going to do it legal. I'm going to do it out in front of the open and everybody in this land is going to know from this day forth that I own that burial plot. I own that field. I own that cave. And when my children, when my children's children's children, uh, whenever that may be after my death, when they enter into the promised land and they come to take it because God has commanded and promised that we would have possession of this land, our family's burial plot will already be here it'll all, all our bones will already be here and this is where we'll be buried okay y'all yeah, talking about a small plot of land you know or a couple acres or... i think it was more than acres i mean i think it was a large piece of what we would call for him is probably a small piece of land but for what we would think it was probably a large piece of land I don't know for sure, and I can't be sure, but in my mind, just me thinking out loud, I'm thinking, you know, like 
10, 20 acres of a field and a cave on one? That's what I'm thinking, and I can't prove that. I don't, I don't know. Nobody knows, but I'm thinking it's not just like, you know, a quarter of an acre with a, you know, deal. I, I'm thinking it's a pretty good sized field. It talks about the trees of Mamre that are there uh, and, and all that kind of thing. And so there were there were there were trees on the field. There was. I'm thinking it's a what we would consider a big plot of land for Abraham. Probably not so much. But well, at their time period, they didn't really bury people in the ground like we do now, right? They put them buried them in caves. caves. Yeah. So you would think sepulchers. Pretty good size. Yeah, and not only is, we're going to see that later, not only is Sarah going to be buried there, but Abraham's going to be buried there, and Isaac's going to be buried there, and Lee and Rebecca are going to be buried there, and Jacob's going to be buried there. Uh, a lot of people are going to be buried there in that cave, in that in that family plot. And so, yeah, they... <laughs> they prepare the bodies. They prepare them, yes, yes. They're still going to be stanky. All right, yes, they are going to be stanky for sure. Uh, verse 12, and Abraham, he offered to give it to him for free. And it says, and Abraham uh, bowed down himself before the people of the land. He noticed, you see it repeated every time he counteroffers. He, he's, this is part of the ceremony. This is part of the, the custom of making these deals. You negotiate your, your offering, then a counteroffer, then another counteroffer. Uh, he bowed down before the people of the land. And he spoke to Ephron in audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me, I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. He says, I'm not going to take it for free. I'm going to give you money for it. I want to purchase it. I want to own it. I re he's refusing to take it for free. I want it as a lasting possession. And I'm not taking a chance that you're going to uh, be an Indian giver. I'm not taking a chance that you're going you're gonna to break a verbal agreement or say, you know, really, it's not his. I'm not, I'm not taking that chance. I want possession. I want legal, rightful possession. And I want everybody in this place to know that I have possession of this land. Uh, and Ephron here, this is strange to me, but he says, Ephron answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. Now, technically, Ephron just said, you know, just take the land. I give it to you. But what did he really do? Tell them it's what it's nice. worth. Yeah. What it yeah. Well, this is what it's worth, but but you, you just go. On. It's not you know. He slide. It let him know that it's worth four hundred shekels. Four hundred shekels is not four hundred pieces of silver. It's the weight. Uh, it's four hundred measures of weight of silver. That's what he's uh, buying it for. But he he lets him know how much it's worth. Now, I don't know for sure. Do you think Ephron is being sly, letting him know how much it's worth, and just saying, hey, take it? Or do you really think he means, hey, it's only worth 400 shekels, go on and take it? Do what do you think? I, I, I don't think know. I think he was probably telling him, you know, this is what it's worth, and this is the price that it could be, but I'm giving it to you without it, you know, even without, though it's yeah. worth this no much. To yeah, he's saying, what is that between me and you? He said, that's that's just a minuscule amount. It's not worth us fighting. It's not worth whatever. And Abraham, that's where all negotiations end, right there. He says, what is that between you? It says, and Abraham hearkened unto Ephron, and Abraham weighed out Abraham the silver. He stopped right there and just thought, okay, four on the shekel. Here you go. 
He waited out and he paid it. He says, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. That means according to the, the weight that merchants weighed at the time. It says, And the field of Ephron, which was at Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field, and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field that were in the borders round about were made sure. That means they became Abraham's possession. Unto Abraham for possession in the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in and of the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron, the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for possession of burying place by the sons of Ham. Did you notice that verse 17 and 18 basically say exactly the same thing that verse 19 and 20 say? It's almost like he repeated it. It's almost like he repeated it. Um, Abraham, he, he wants to make sure that you understand that he purchased the land he has he is abraham is preparing for the promise he's preparing for the promise he's not going to see the promise fulfilled in his lifetime he's not in the next next section uh next chapter or two he's gonna die you know he's gonna try to find a wife for his son and all that kind of stuff and he is not going to see the fulfillment of the promise in his lifetime. He's not going to own, at the time of Abraham's death, the only land that he owns is this piece of property. That's it. Even though God had promised that your, your seed, your descendants are going to own the land. But he is preparing. He's preparing his, himself and his family for the promise of God. He trusts in the promise of God so much that he is... He is preparing for it to take place. When his children come into the land, their family burial plot's already going to be there. When his children finally come and take possession of the land, his his their ancestors are already going to be buried in this land. Uh, like I told you, we're going to see it over and over again. Abraham's going to be buried here with Sarah. Uh, Isaac is going to be buried here in Genesis 35. Leah and Rebekah is going to be buried here in Genesis 49. Uh, Jacob is going to say, you bring my bones back home from Egypt to be buried in the cave of Machpelah with, with, my, with my family. This became his ancestral burial ground. This became the uh, the the place where uh, the place where his uh, his family was buried. It would it would become the honorable thing to be buried with your family. Now, do Does you it see? Stay in his <clears throat> possession even after death. Yes, it goes to his family and next of you know like it'd be Isaac's possession. And then, and then Jacob's possession, and then actually, you know, Esau and all of them, all of them family members would own this land. Do you think that's land. why he did it the way he did it, so that when he does die, people can't say, "Well, I promised this to your dad, not to you." Yes, so I think he he wanted legal possession <laughs> of this property, right. and he I. I think the the point of the story for us is because it's it's hard to read when you're reading through it. You're thinking, what does this have to do with anything that's going on? Abraham. The story is about the promise of God, and Abraham is preparing to receive the promise of God, even though, <clears throat> to be honest, it really looks like it's a futile effort. I mean, to be honest, 
He's buying this little property right surrounded by all these other peoples that have already shown themselves to be uh, untrustworthy, as Abraham has also himself. But, I mean, who, who is to say that after Abraham dies, this Ephron's not just going to come along and take back his property? You know, he is, he is trusting in the promise of God that he will own the entirety of the land, and he is... Stepping out in faith by purchasing legally this small little piece of property so his dead can be buried. And the, the message that it sends, which a lot of modern people won't get today, is that this is my homeland. I'm not going to be buried at in this other homeland where I come from, where my father's buried and his father's buried and his father's father's buried. I'm not bringing my dead back to my homeland to be buried. That's not my homeland. This is my homeland where God has brought me and he knows in his mind that God has promised that he will have possession of that homeland. So, you know, if you want to take an application just for your life, I would say that number one, number one, it's going to be suffering in this life. You can't get around it. You know, Sarah's going to die. All, if Jesus doesn't return, all y'all are going to die. You know, if, if you're lucky enough or blessed enough that you're not getting sick, you know, and you live to be 90 without too much sickness, guess what? All the people that you love are getting older too. They're going to pass away. And you're going to have to go. If Jesus does not return before we pass away, you're going to go through all kinds of suffering. That suffering doesn't nullify the promise of God. No more than Sarah's death here nullified the promise of God for Abraham. He stood up from his suffering. And it was real suffering. He stood up from his suffering and he walked in the promise of God, trusting that I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to buy this piece of this land because God has promised me this land and I'm going to trust in that promise. Y'all with me? Make sense? Anybody? Questions? Well, it's kind of like you can, you can apply that throughout the whole Bible. You know, even with Noah, he had to have that faith to go ahead and step out and build the ark like God told him to. Sure enough. Before he ever saw the outcome of it. Yeah. It's just like with Abraham, he's taken that step of faith to buy that land before he even sees the outcome of it. That's right. Apply that and that's the definition. Faith is being... Hopeful of what you can't see, you know, it's the evidence of things not seen. It's trusting in what you can't, what you can't see. If you could see it, if it was tangible and you knew it was there, it wouldn't be faith. It wouldn't be trusting. Well, he's in essence starting a new legacy for his family. That's exactly what he's doing. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. And he is, the whole point of this, the whole point of this is not to just show you that Abraham is a good negotiator or that he's a shrewd guy. It is to show you that the promise of God is true even though the people involved in the promise are starting to die off. Uh, it's true anyway. It's going to last beyond, extends beyond death, extends beyond our death. And the second thing is that Abraham trusted in the promise so much that he could step out in faith, not owning a single inch of ground. He could step out in faith and I'm going to buy the burial plot that we're going to be buried because this is my homeland. I picture it in a sense of, you know, basically in our terms, a life application that, you know, Christ has purchased our land.